0: Every single circumstance. church. How are we doing this morning? Amen. Glad to see everybody here, and especially for those of you that are new My name is Pastor Joey, and I just want to say welcome that you're here today. Just a couple of quick announcements. Again, I want to plug our marriage uh, event that we have in the first week of June, June 1st and 2nd. Uh, This is the XO Marriage Conference. My wife and I had the opportunity to attend this conference at another church. It was amazing, and God has worked it out for us to partner with another church in the community to bring this to you all. And so you definitely don't want to miss that. If you're married or soon to be married or, or looking to get married, it's all great information. It's $12 per person, $24 for a couple. Um, you can go online to our website, www.vlchurch.tv forward slash XO, and register for the event. And Once you uh, purchase your tickets, it'll email you a, uh, an e-ticket that you'll print off and bring with you to the, to the event. If uh, you don't have email or you don't purchase them ahead of time, then it's $17 at the door per person. So you want to definitely take advantage of that early bird pricing for that. And I'm excited to see what God does in our marriages, uh, in our church, in our community, and how he continues to build partnerships for us to uh, enable ourselves to give God glory with all that we are. Um, We are... In week nine of our series, The Joy Set, we are going through the book of Philippians to kind of catch you up. Last week, we talked about worship, how Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, he sets up this chapter by, by just telling the Philippians how he is uh, just within himself encouraged, but also just re- enjoys reminding the people over and over again that they need to rejoice in the Lord exceedingly in order to guard their faith. Because there will be times that we struggle in this life. There will be times hardship comes where it seems like everything's going well, and then out of nowhere, life throws us a curveball, or we go through a season of just difficulty. Maybe there's difficulty in your marriage, or maybe you're having difficulties with a child, or with friends at school or whatever the case is, there will be a time where we go through difficulty. And oftentimes, those difficulties have a tendency to pull our hearts away from God and away from the faith, the very thing that God is using to lead you into his blessings and into his promises. And we talked last week how really worship is that tool that God gives us to keep our hearts centered on what is right, what is true, what is honorable. That as we worship, our hearts come into align with who he is and they focus on his promises and keeps us headed in the right direction. Well, this week, as we continue to venture in chapter three, Paul goes from talking about guarding your faith in worship and in rejoicing in the Lord to guarding your faith from being able to believe altogether to really guarding your faith from false teachers. And evil influences. We're going to begin in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have your digital copy, you can uh, navigate there. And if you don't have either or, you can follow along on the screen with us today. Beginning in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, this is what the word of the Lord records. It says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for being with us today. God, we know that when two or more gathered in your name, you are here among us, God. So don't let us miss out on what you're doing among us today. Help us to open our hearts to you. There's there's a need in every life here today. We live in a broken world. We live broken lives. God, there's a need in every heart today. And I pray that our hearts wouldn't press against the truth, that our our hearts wouldn't miss out on what you have for us today. God, that through our worship, and I thank you for moving in our worship, God, for, for drawing us into your presence. Now I pray, God, that through your word, you would transform hearts and lives. God, I just rebuke the enemy, his servant's works and effects, and I just proclaim the blood of Christ over us today as we declare the truth that there would be no victory for the enemy, but the victory would come to the King of kings and the Lord of lords today in our hearts. God, let your joy erupt within us. In this we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, Paul changes gears. From you guarding your heart with worship to now guarding what you think, what you believe from false teachers or evil influences. You got to go back into the Bible days here. In this time, in this day and age, before Jesus died and rose from death, the only people God had been really working with and cultivating a relationship with was the Israelite people, the Jewish people. So up until Christ... All the Jews knew was the law, which we call the Old Testament. Really, it was the first five books of the Old Testament, the Torah. This is what they considered the law. And the law didn't just contain the Ten Commandments, all the thou shalt nots. The law contained over 600 commands that the nation of Israel was to obey, from things that they were to eat and not to eat, things they were to wear and not to wear. They actually couldn't wear polyester. That was a sin for them. I don't, I think, I don't know why, but it was. But there the are things they couldn't eat. There are things they couldn't wear. They had to offer sacrifices at different times of the year, specifically in specific ways. They, they could only worship in one location. There are so many different things that the Israelite people had to follow. And if they did, the understanding was they'd be right with God. And part of those laws was this covenant God had made with Abraham. God told Abraham in Genesis, he said, Every one of your male children from the day that they turn eight days old, must be circumcised. If they're not, they are not going to be included in the promise. They're not going to be included in this covenant, this this relationship that I've begun with you. And so when Jesus comes on the scene and he dies and he rises from the dead, and now his apostles are teaching, hey, just believe in Christ. Don't worry about that other stuff. That became a conflict, because the entire Jewish culture, thousands of years of history, was centered on this law. You must do this to be right with God. So here you have these Jews who who believed in Christ. They, They believed Jesus was the Messiah, but they couldn't break themselves away from believing that they still had to follow this law. You know, they may had been well-intended because in their minds, they thought, no, this is the right way. This is what is right. You do this and you're right with God. They might have been well-intended trying to force the Gentiles or non-Jewish believers to follow the law. They were well-intended, but they were also dead wrong. They were well-intended, but they were also dead wrong. Though they thought they were doing good, they were in fact doing a great evil. Did you know that you could have the best intentions in your heart and, and be endeavoring to do the very best or, or to do some really good in this world, but in fact, you could be doing great evil. So we don't often think about that. They we think, well, if my intentions are good, then it can't be all that bad, but the results are evil. You can be intending to do good, but in fact, be doing evil. You see, there are many beliefs and practices in this world, especially in religion. You know, if you think about Christianity itself, there's, I believe, over 20-some, maybe probably even way more than that, probably over 200-some denominations of Christianity worldwide. So there's disagreements and things that that are, you know, between these different denominations. There are different beliefs, different practices, and some of those beliefs and practices actually lead people astray from the faith. They lead them away from the very freedom they can have in Christ. One of the most common things that I point to, because I grew up in a faith background where this was very common and even still struggle with some of the the bondage that came out of this uh, background, was this idea of what we call legalism. Legalism or legalistic churches or legalistic ways of thinking is really no different than these Jews in looking at the law. See, legalism says that you must follow a set of standards or rules in order to be in good with God. If you think of churches that you walk in the door and everyone's wearing a suit and tie and a dress. You know, I've been a part of churches that that was the expectation. If you didn't dress up for church, you essentially weren't allowed to come. It just wasn't a thing that you were allowed to do. There were churches that I knew of. My parents, uh, talking about different experiences they had, there were churches where they would have extra material by the front door in case a lady's skirt was a little too short when she walked in so they could put the extra material around her skirt to lengthen to make sure she was appropriately dressed for church. There are other churches where they would have extra coats on hand, so if a man walked in not wearing a sports coat or a dress coat, they would be able to loan him a dress coat for the day so he would be appropriately dressed for church. These are expectations. Other expectations are you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't go to the movies, you can't dance. I grew up, you know, believing that, that it was wrong for me to go to a school dance because that's the way my parents thought. That's the way they were raised. And and the idea is as long as you didn't do these things that were kind of against the rules, then you were a good Christian. You were right with God. But the problem is, is I can do all of those things and yet my heart can be a million miles from God. And that was the problem with these Judaizers, these men who were teaching about circumcision. They were focusing on the do's and don'ts of the law, and they weren't really focusing on their hearts. And so the message they were teaching and the message they were preaching was was providing a horrible outcome. You see, false ideologies or belief systems will equal false interpretations, and false interpretations will equal false applications. If you don't start with truth, you start with a false belief, you're going to interpret your circumstances and the things around you in an improper way, which leads you to apply that to your life in an improper way. And false applications always lead to disappointment. They always lead to disappointment. You see, if I believe something to be true, and I experience the opposite of that belief, then I will become thoroughly disappointed. I'll feel stupid. I'll feel duped or taken advantage of. Whatever I was trusting in, that trust will be broken. And it would make it really hard to continue to believe that way if if I didn't have an experience that matched my belief. See, if my faith is is a legalistic faith where it's centered on my outward appearance, around things that I can accomplish in my own strength, not listening to secular music, and all these things that we've made up for ourselves as believers, If my entire faith is centered around what I can accomplish in my own strength, then when I fail to measure up to that standard, I will fall under a heavy weight of guilt and shame. I will fall under a heavy weight. Of guilt and shame. And out of that guilt and shame, what happens is it motivates you to try harder to reach that standard, to reach that, that level of perfection that you and the influences around you have put on yourself, and yet continue to be disappointed because you will continue to fail to meet that standard, and will continue to be buried deeper under more and more guilt and more and more shame because the foundation of your understanding, the foundation of what you've believed is essentially a lie. The lie is that you must be perfect in order to be loved. You must be perfect in order to be accepted. You must be perfect in order to be included. And I believe that there are people here today that believe that very same lie. You spend your life trying to measure up, trying to acquire some level of standard so that people will accept you or even maybe people close to you and your family will love you and, and, and think good of you, but you continue to fail at that standard. You believe you must perform well to be accepted. And what's happening is, is that you're driving yourself into an early grave trying to achieve or arrive at that level of perfection because for mankind, that level of perfection doesn't exist. The Bible says there is none righteous, no not one, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glorious standard of God. There is, there is an unachievable level of perfection in our own strength. And these men, dogs that Paul refers to in, in Philippians chapter 3, the, these Jewish men, they were preaching this law that, that you must be required to be circumcised in order to be saved. When the apostles had been preaching, trust in Jesus Christ with all of your heart, confess him as your Lord and Savior, and you'll be saved. And what they were doing is they were confusing the people and leading them into spiritual bondage. They were leading them into spiritual bondage to follow a law that doesn't set people free, but by Paul's own words was designed to show us how sinful we really were. All of those laws, all of those regulations, all the things God required of Israel was not to make them right with himself. It was to show them that they had a desperate need for a savior. In Acts chapter 15, verse 10, in, in the history of the church, there came a point as the church was now about 20 years or so uh, away from the resurrection, the, it, it, there's thousands of people that were a part of this ministry, but they were still having a struggle between Jews fellowshipping with Gentiles. There was racism and there was other econ- socioeconomic problems that were keeping them divided. And so finally, with the, these men continued to go around trying to undo this gospel message that Paul and others were trying to solve solidify in the hearts of these new believers. So they had a council. It was called the Council of Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15. And they discussed, you know, what is the true doctrine? What is the true belief? Do these Gentile believers who know nothing of the law need to follow these rules and regulations that God gave Israel? Or is faith in Christ enough? Is faith in Jesus enough? And I'm so thankful that they came to the conclusion that they did because the implications are if they had decided to go the way of the Judaizers or the Jewish men teaching the law, chances are we would not be here today because the hurdle of becoming a Jew to a non-Jew is so beyond what is accomplishable. It wasn't even uh, something they could accomplish themselves. In Acts chapter 15, verse 10, here is what they said to these men who were teaching that you must be circumcised to be saved. They said, so why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? These laws, these rules, these regulations, these things they were trying to force upon these Gentile believers, they couldn't even keep themselves. Yet, for some reason, they wanted these new believers to follow suit. And Paul called these teachers mutilators. In referencing to circumcision. That word mutilator means to cut up or concision, that they were more interested in violating a person's body than helping them receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. In Paul in Romans two twenty-five through 29, he clarifies what kind of circumcision really God is after. In Romans chapter 2, verse 25 through 29, here's what Paul writes to the church. says, the Jewish ceremony of circumcision has value only if you obey God's law. But if you don't obey God's law, you are no better off than an uncircumcised Gentile. And if the Gentiles obey God's law, won't God declare them to be his own people? In fact, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep God's law will condemn you Jews who are circumcised and possess God's law, but don't obey it. For you're not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of what's that word? Heart produced by the Holy Spirit. True circumcision is a change of heart produced by the Spirit of God, and a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God and not from people. This is the difference between legalistic belief and not, is because legalism and law gets you to seek the approval of men, not the approval of God. Oh, if, if people think I'm good, if people think I'm a good Christian, if people associate me with all these things, then I'll feel good. I'll be right. I'll, I, God will be able to love me. But this is not true circumcision. True circumcision is allowing the Spirit of God to transform your heart into a heart that beats along with our Savior, a heart that pursues after Him with love and passion. It's all about relationship. So there's a difference between physical circumcision of the flesh and the circumcision of the heart. Physical circumcision just cuts away skin. It cuts away flesh. But spiritual circumcision cuts away the power of your sinful nature to dominate you. Physical circumcision uh, or trying to be saved with circumcision is an attempt to earn God's love and favor through works. This is law. But circumcision of the heart is receiving God's love and favor by grace and faith. You see, faith, our faith, our belief in Christ, it is not a matter of what I do, but it is a matter of what Jesus did. I'm going to say that again. Our faith is not a matter of what I do, but it's a matter of what Jesus did. See, Paul here in Philippians 3, he goes on to kind of tell his spiritual resume. He gets all the the descriptions of the things that he did according to his faith that in the eyes of men would have made him a pretty spiritual giant. Paul could have justified himself by his works if anyone else could have. He was circumcised when he was eight days old. He was a pure-blooded Jew, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Pharisee, a member of one of the strictest religious sects in all of Israel, keeping all the laws, every rule, regulation, feast, and command. He zealously persecuted the church for his faith. Before he was a Christian, he persecuted Christians because he believed that they were uh, preaching blasphemy or heresy, that they were violating the very faith of God, the very truth of his word. Paul obeyed the law without a fault. If anyone could have justified himself by works, it would have been Paul. He had everything right, but yet there was a problem. He was still dead in his sins. He had everything right on the outside. He was a part of every proper club. He knew all the right things. He did all the right duties. He was part of every spiritual tradition, but yet he was still a sinner, dead in his sins. And this dilemma, this, this thing that these teachers were trying to breed into the church is something that we still see in our world today is this difference between justification by works and justification by faith. Being right with God by the things we do or being right with God because of who he is and what he's done for us. And the problem with this belief system is that if I can earn God's favor by what I do or how good I am, then I can also lose God's favor by how good I am and by what I do. If I can earn God's favor by what I do, I can also lose his favor by what I do. And as a sinner, I am doomed to fail because there is none righteous and all have sinned. There is none righteous. Our righteousness is like filthy rags. The best that we could hope to accomplish, the best we can offer God is dirty rags compared to his glory. So if I have to earn his favor by what I do, I have no hope. There's no hope within me because all have sinned. I cannot ever meet the standard I need to because I am a cursed sinner of this world. And if I can never succeed, then that means I must be doomed to live forever under condemnation of my failures, to forever be condemned, to be eternally defined by my past mistakes and be defined by all the ways I don't measure up if I have to earn God's love and favor by what I do. But you know what? I don't have to earn God's favor by what I do. That's man's love. That's not God's love. See, man's love is betray me. I'll have nothing to do with you ever again. You hurt me, well, I'm gonna hurt you. Give up on me, well, I'm gonna give up on you. It's a love if situation. But God doesn't do that. God says he will never leave us nor forsake us. God says that his love... We can never be separated from his love if we're in Christ Jesus. See, the core concept of this message, and we're, as we're looking at guarding our faith by what we believe, is the reality is, is that God gives us his grace not to wallow in our failures, but to rise in his successes. God gives us his grace not to wallow in our failures, but to rise in his success. See, the truth is, is he paid it all. He paid for my sins. He accomplished his mission when he said, it is finished. He lived a perfect life, the life I could never live. And he went to the cross and he rose from death. He accomplished the mission. He rose in glory with the keys to the kingdom and all glory and power to his name. And he offers us a relationship through an invitation that if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we will be saved. Ephesians 2:8-9 it's by his grace that we're saved through our faith not of our works lest anyone should boast about it. You see I can only attain because God has freely given. It's not about me. This is why Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, as he's just recounted all the things that he's done, all the religious works, and all the ways he could justify himself by what he's done. He looks at what Christ has done and compares to what he has done, and he says this. He says, I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them to be worthless because of what Christ has done. I count it all as loss, in other words. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is so strong because he's saying, every hour I spent memorizing the Old Testament. Every minute I spent in in Sunday school and in church and in dressing the part and looking the part and memorizing all the Christian songs. Every second I spent going around evangelizing and telling people. Every second I spent coming against people who didn't believe right. All the things that I did that make me righteous. All that is loss. It's worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Jesus, our Lord. Do you know him? For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. What Paul is revealing to us here in Philippians chapter three is that when we look at everything we've done and accomplished and how we try to serve God, that none of that changes our stature before God. It's all about Jesus. It's all about what he did for us on the cross. It's not about what we can offer him. And if our faith is centered on anything else but Jesus, it is not Jesus at all. Faith is plus anything else, is not salvation in Christ at all. It is faith in Christ, in Christ alone. Paul continues, verse 9, he says, I became one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want you to know, or I want to know Christ, and I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Man, whatever I gained, I count as lost for Christ's sake. Whatever he's gained, whatever accolades, whatever honors he has in this life, he counts it as loss. In other words, I don't put any stock in my efforts or my own goodness. It's all because of Jesus. I have what I have, and I will experience what I experience because of who he is and what he's done for me which is a moment that we need to stop and contemplate because if it's all about Christ and it's not about me, then that means I don't have to keep living under disappointment about my imperfections. I don't have to keep living in disappointment. I can rejoice in what Jesus has done for me. I don't have to wallow in my failures and I can rise in his successes. Because it's not about me. It's about what he has done. And I believe in my heart that some of you here today, it is time for a reset in your mind. You have been living your life feeling not good enough, like a horrible person, like you don't measure up, that you're not lovable, that there's something about you that that is just not as good as what other people uh, have or are in their lives. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus died on the cross for you the same as he died for anybody else. Don't you dare think that you are not as loved. Loved as anyone else. His blood shed for you the same it shed for someone else. But the problem is, is we have grown up with this law mentality that says, I must become in order to be loved, and it is a false belief. It is a lie from the pit of hell. This law mentality breeds condemnation. The law says, I must do, and if I don't, I have failed, and if I failed, I'm horrible. We need a reset. We need to transform our minds. We need to begin viewing ourselves through the lens of God's grace, not through the law. And so the question is, is how? How do I do that? How do I begin living today through God's grace and not through the law when all this junk is in my life? I'm like, it's like I'm wearing a backpack full of weight and I don't know how to just release this to God. Well, Paul continues his teaching in verse 12, Philippians chapter three, and he says this. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things, Or that I've already achieved perfection. In other words, I'm as good as it comes when it comes to works. I've sacrificed myself. God's done signs and wonders. I'm I'm writing scripture. I'm like one of the the, the guys everyone's going to remember in the church. But even me, I have not reached perfection. It's not that I've already attained this level, church. It says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. That means I don't stop trying. I don't stop trying to know Christ, stop trying to live for Christ, stop trying to uh, be filled with this spirit and overwhelmed by his presence. Verse 13, he says, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You see, this is where many of us get stuck. This is where many of us get stuck, because we have life happen, we have pain in our past, maybe we were rejected, maybe we were betrayed, maybe we had a rough go in life, our our career plan didn't work out, and, and now we're living a life we'd never wanted, and we get stuck in our failure, and all of our life is filtered through this lens of all the mistakes, all the baggage, all the failure, we get stuck in the muck of our past. Look how I failed. Look how I was hurt. Look at what they did to me. Look at what I did. How could I ever recover? How can I ever recover from that? And we get stuck in this broken record of negativity. But I'm here to tell you today that freedom doesn't come by staying stuck in the past. Freedom comes by pressing into the promises of God. It doesn't come by staying stuck in the past. It comes by pressing in to the promises of God, looking to the future. The psalm says the sorrow may last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. That means to look ahead to the joy that is to come. We have to stop looking back at the failure and start looking forward into God's promises. Forgetting the past and pressing on towards the promises of God verse 14, he continues. He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Guard your faith. Worship the Lord. Guard your faith. Guard what you believe. Hold on to that progress. Do not digress hold on to the progress. Do not digress. Don't slide back. Don't stay stuck in the past. Focus on his promises. Hold fast to the faith that you have. Nurture it. Let it grow. Press towards the ultimate joy we will receive in glory. You see, church, our future has yet to begin. Our future begins when Jesus Christ comes back and he wipes every tear from our eye. We no longer know sorrow or pain or suffering. There's a day when all this struggle will be put away. It'll be a glorious day. And that begins when Jesus Christ returns. But until that point, forgive those who have hurt you. And probably the most difficult is to forgive yourself. Forget the past. Forgive those that have hurt you. Forgive yourself. Forget the past and press on to his promises, looking forward to the day when he returns. Don't wallow in your failures, but rise in his successes. You can do it through Christ who gives you strength. And finally, as he closes out, the chapter, he leaves us what I consider a pastoral burden. In verse 17 through 21, here's what Paul says. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite, and they brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly are waiting for him to return as our savior he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control I look forward to that day because that means I don't have to worry about what the buffet is going to do to me later on you know my body's going to change gravity no longer going to have that effect but even more so, this as I read this passage of Scripture, I hear this pastoral burden in his heart because Paul, writing from prison, talking about joy, trying to encourage these people to guard their faith, guard what they believe, I see in this teaching, what he's relaying to this church is that, you know what, there, no matter how much effort you try to preach, no matter how much effort you try to live as an example, you try to encourage, admonish, and teach, and train, no matter how much you try to pray for the people in your care, there will be those who just don't listen. There are people who will choose just not to get it. Their hearts are hardened because they don't want to change how they're living. Yes, I know living with my boyfriend or my girlfriend is wrong, but uh, I just don't want to do it that way. I want to do it my way. There's so many things that, that we preach and we see right in Scripture, God's best, His promises, His blessings are awaiting for us, but there are people who just, I just don't want to do it God's way. I want to do it my way. There are people in the church that are misguided and confused. Just like there are those who follow the law and think you have to do the law in order to be right with God, there are others who swing on the pendulum the extreme the other direction and say, you know what, what God wants for me doesn't really matter. I'm just going to claim salvation and go live how I want. They live without any acknowledgement or, or desire to do the will of God. They profess themselves to be wise, but reveal themselves to be utter fools and their foolish hearts are darkened. And it's revealed in their boasting and shameful things. And just as we, we live under this law, there are those who want to, or live under an unending grace. And the question is, is does the grace of God mean we can do whatever we want? That since we don't really have to follow law in order to be right with God, can we just then live however we want under God's grace? And the answer is no. Paul answered this question in Romans 6, 1 through 3. He says, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? or have you forgotten that when we were joined to Christ in Jesus in baptism we joined him in his death paul is saying here that we joined christ in baptism we were joined we we're made one with christ sin leads us into bondage sin leads us into destruction sin leads us into disappointment and jesus died to set us free from our sins he died to set us free So no, we don't need law to be right with God, but if we choose Christ, but then live in our sin, we're not walking in the freedom that he has died to provide us and thus are forfeiting the salvation he wants to give. Sin breeds death. And even if we have salvation, sin also has an effect in our lives. It breeds destruction, pain, and suffering. This week in our men's group, in our men's Bible study we were kind of talking about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter uh, 2 and 3. And after Adam uh, is presented the fruit, I don't think Adam for a second thought that his sin was going to be as bad as what it was. And if you think about it, all Adam did was eat the apple or the fruit, whatever it was. Some people think it's a grape. I don't know. It was a fruit. The Bible doesn't really say. But Adam, he was just looking at the fruit. He's looking at the apple. He bit the fruit. What's the big deal? But that one decision set a course that would lead to the murder of his own son, turning his other son into a murderer. It would lead to sexual immorality and violence filling the land to the point that God had to purge the earth with the flood and start everything over again just to give mankind a chance to survive. Everything that comes after uh, the Garden of Eden is a result of one decision. And as we're discussing this, the the thought is, is here Adam is watching his wife, fully capable of stepping in and saying, no, don't do that. God said, and yet he does nothing. And to think about what then are the ripple effects in my life for the sin I choose to participate in. When I choose not to stand up for what's right, or I choose to give in to my temptation, what are the ripple effects? What are the ramifications of sin in my life? John, in John chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do not love this world nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Paul, in this pastoral burden, is just pleading with these people. He's like, look, guys, when you pursue this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, when you pursue the indulgence of everything this world has to offer you, everything that you can consume on your lust, you are not what you think you are. When your heart is pursuing and coveting the sin of this world, the the, the passions of this world, the thing that the enemy wants to use to draw your heart away from God, it's like you are not what you are. Those who believed they needed the law were misguided. And at the same time, those who had no regard for the will of God were misguided. The pendulum swings to both sides, the law and the lawless. Those who believe they can do what they want and that it doesn't matter, they, didn't. they don't love God. They love the world because sin is in opposition to God. And though we're broken, though we're not perfect, we still sin. If we are in Christ Jesus, we won't be pursuing sin in our lives. We'll be repenting of sin. We'll be looking for the ways that our lives are out of agreement with the will and word of God. And we'll be submitting to God, resisting the devil, and giving God glory with all that we are in that situation. Why? It's because we are grateful what God has done for us and what he is doing in us as the body of Christ people who live for earthly pleasure who hungry hunger for worldly pleasure worldly gain accolades recognition those who want to be the best uh, uh, account on facebook they want all the likes on instagram they want to be the most famous youtuber without even a consideration of what god wants for their lives are just pursuing a meaningless end it's just destructive It's just as destructive of those who live under the law as those who live under lawlessness. People who rely on their outward goodness to cover up their inward badness will sadly be disappointed on the day of judgment. If I try to cover up what's in here with all the things I can do out here, you will be sadly disappointed on the day of judgment. The only way to cover up what's in here is to be clothed in the Lord's goodness. Galatians 3.27, Paul writes to the Church of Galatia, he says, All who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. When you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you were filled with the Spirit of God, you are baptized in His Holy Spirit. You are united with Christ Jesus. You are immersed in the very presence of God. You literally got to step into Christ like putting on new clothes. And when God looks at you, he doesn't see the inner badness. He doesn't see the sins of the past or the stains, the mistakes, the trouble, the trial. What he sees is the glory of his dear son. He sees every stripe that has brought your healing, every bruise, every wound that was meant for your restoration. He sees the glory of God at work in your life. Praise God. You see, we don't acquire joy We don't acquire joy by looking back, wallowing in our failures. We don't acquire joy by looking around, indulging in the pleasures of this world, encouraging our sinful nature. We acquire joy by safeguarding our faith through worship and by studying the word of God, bringing our lives into agreement with the will and word of God, and therefore being anchored in the blessed hope that we have that one day all the struggles will be over for good. And you know, just the thought of it brings a lot of joy. The day the trumpet sounds, and the skies are pulled back like a scroll, and the Lord is seen coming on the cloud of power with great glory, that is a day of rejoicing. That will be a day of everlasting joy as we close here today, and let's just go in time of response, let's have everybody bow their heads and close their eyes just in this moment. As we do every service, we're gonna go into a time of response where you have an opportunity to respond to what God is speaking to you. In just a moment, when we sing and when we worship, you might need to come down here and lay yourself at the altar and pray. Or maybe... As part of your response, you want to come down to the Lord's table and partake of the elements of the communion, remembering his death, remembering the blood that was shed for you, and allowing the healing waters of the blood of Christ just to begin to work in your life. Maybe you need prayer for something specific in your life. I'll be down front. We can pray the power of God to come down in your life, whatever God is doing in your life. In just a moment, we're going to have a time to respond. But here in this moment, I just want to ask, who in here needs a reset? Who's been living their life under the law or maybe under lawlessness? You've been striving to earn God's favor by trying to be so good and only to be met with disappointment, or maybe you haven't really been considering God at all in your life and you've been just taking him for granted. If that's you here today and you need a reset, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor Joey, that's me. Pray for me. I need a reset in my life today. I've been trying to earn God's favor, and I constantly feel condemned and shamed and guilty because I know I don't measure up. Or maybe, you know, Pastor Joey, I know that there's things in my life I've not been willing to give over to God. I've, I've been allowing the things of this world to draw me away more than God. and To tell you the truth, I actually, if I had to be honest today, I could say that I love him. I love the world more than I love God, and I need a reset today. I need to give my life to Christ. If that's you here today, would you just raise your hand and say, that's me, Pastor Joey. All right, thank you. Are you living under the law or under lawlessness? Have you been wallowing in your failures Do you need a reset today ready to rise in his success do you need to forget the past and begin pursuing the promises right now that is available to you God's presence is here and his arms are open and Jesus said come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest father daddy We're here before you. And God, this world has so much coming against us. The enemy is bringing so many attacks from so many different directions, from trying to pull our hearts away from our faith altogether, by bringing struggle and trial and and, and discomfort and, and things that just cause us to question and doubt. And then on the other side, he's, he's trying to bring a false teaching a false belief that, that bring bondage into our lives and prevent us from living according to the freedom we have in Christ. The scripture says, who the Son has set free is free indeed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Yet there are things that, and traditions that we've allowed to creep in that have crippled our faith. And God, there's some of us who have just gotten lost out in the world. Where we say we believe in God and we even think we believe in God, but our lives reflect that we really are living like atheists without acknowledging God in any part of our lives. And because of that, we're inviting dysfunction and disappointment and negativity into our lives when you have purposed joy to overflow like a spring, like a well overflowing in our lives where you said in your presence there is great joy that part of the the fruit of the Spirit is joy, that you have destined, you have planned great joy to come uh, through and in the lives of your church, but we are failing to realize that joy because of law and lawlessness. So God, I pray for our people today that we would have a reset. But in just a moment when we respond, God, those that are heavy hearted, they would fall on their knees here at this altar. God, you would give them a reset now in the name of Jesus. That they could walk away from the past, even if the mistake happened 15 minutes ago, that they could lay that down here and rise in your successes. Focused on your promises. God, if there's someone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray God that right now they would just know how much you love them that they would feel it. God, it would be tangible right now that your spirit would surround them, that they would wrap around them right now, God, and they could feel the arms of the loving Father coming around them, God, and they would recognize that you were calling out to them. And right now, under the sound of my voice, they would call out to you and just say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your spirit. I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I believe in his death and resurrection. He is my Lord. I trust in him today. Save me. Change me right now. God, I pray that they would be moved to, to confess and to believe, in, Lord, that you would transform their lives right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that you unleash your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name So now do a great work. This we ask in your name. Amen. Let's all stand together. need prayer I'll be down here if you'd like to come and celebrate the Lord's death at his table come on have a time of prayer if you'd like to just come pray about some needs in your life now's the time